Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. Long reading, but important reading. And um, in a little bit, we'll get to that passage, and uh, we'll be glad to have to read the whole thing over again. Um, I have I printed out 15 more copies of all the verse sheets from last week. So if you didn't get one, Andrew, um, if you want to just put up your hand or whatever, and Andrew can give you one. So if you if you need one of those, um, that'll help you as we go through the various passages. Again, these aren't color copies as some of the ones I had last week. Um, but if you'd like to have a copy, there are some more there. So a couple weeks ago, we began a little um, hiatus, a little. Um, parenthesis in our studying of the Word of God, looking at a system of interpretation um, called dispensationalism. So down along the, the side there. Big word, um, which um, hopefully we've broken down a little bit easier. But two weeks ago, we looked at how, where all this begins, and that is the importance of interpretation. Um, how, what you think about the Bible, how you interpret it, is going to change an awful lot. So whether you look at it literally, that it says what it means to say, um, whoops, the other ones, whether you take it ignorantly, which means that it doesn't mean anything, or whether you take it symbolically, and that is that it means something totally different than what it actually says. And what you believe about that is really going to change a whole lot of what you believe about God and about the church and about Israel and and other things. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells Timothy to be diligent. And remember that word, for diligent really means to be quick, to do it quickly. Don't delay in doing this. To be diligent, to study, to show yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed but rightly divides the word of truth, who cuts it straightly, if you remember that, okay? And we want to be able to cut the word of God straightly. So, last week we began looking at um, transitioning into this concept of dispensationalism, and I told you I didn't really know the best way to do this other than just to start dumping, okay? So, so getting into this term dispensationalism, we want to look at the um, distinctives of it, which means the basic tenets. Um, you could put down presuppositional beliefs. You say, well, what is a presuppositional belief? It's something that you believe going into something. Okay? So um, you're going to refinish a piece of furniture. Make sense? If you don't think you can do it, what's going to happen as you're refinishing that piece of furniture? You get, so you get a piece of furniture, it's, it's old. It's got how many, how many coats of paint on it? Lots, right? Okay. So as you, as you go into this thing, if you don't think you can do it, how's it going to affect what you do? You're going to give up. That's exactly right. Or the job that you do isn't going to be what? Very good. Make sense? Because you're going to give up early on things. I'm not going to continue to work on it. Make sense? Okay? But if I know, if I believe that this is extremely important, it's going to be the greatest gift I'm going to give my wife or my parents or whatever. Make sense? And I know that God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then what am I going to do? I'm going to work harder at it. I'm going to plug on it. I'm going to keep working at it. And I'm going to what? I'm continually seeking God's face to give me wisdom to take care of that. Now, it's just a mundane little thing, okay? But how much more importantly is it when I come to the Word of God? Now, so my presuppositional beliefs are going to affect how I interpret the Word of God. 
Okay? So as a dispensationalist, and we're going to come back and define that in a, in a moment. We did it last week, and I'll do it as a review. I believe in a literal interpretation. Okay? I believe the Bible says what it means to say. That God didn't hide it, but that God actually said what he meant to say. I also believe, and I think most of you do too, um, in what's called progressive revelation, that God continually revealed throughout history, i go backwards for you guys to come this way, that God continually progressed throughout history, okay, giving more and more revelation, so that today I know more than Isaiah knew, which is really kind of profound if you think about how much Isaiah knew, right? Who knew more than David knew, who knew more than Noah knew, who knew more than Adam knew. Does that make sense? That throughout history, God had continually given more and more revelation, okay? And that's going to come into play in a moment. Um, That the purpose of God throughout the Bible is doxological, and that is to bring himself glory. It's not soteriological. Remember, that was a big term, which basically means the salvation of man. That the purpose of history is not the salvation of man. The purpose of history is God. Okay? Now, God uses the salvation of man to what? To glorify himself. But that's the ultimate purpose. Okay? He could have saved us any way he wanted to. Does it make sense? He could have said, you know, go dip into the, get a drink from the, the Savannah River or the, whatever the, the greatest river near you is, and you can be saved. Make sense? He could have done that. But he did it in such a way that it brought great glory to himself. Fourthly, and with number one, okay, these kind of two things kind of go together, okay, as, as the, the fulcrums of this, the clear distinction between the church and physical Israel, the nation of Israel, okay? Um, we're going to look more and more at passages today, okay? But the distinction is not necessarily the physical nation that you see today in Israel, which it is, okay? But that the church didn't replace Israel in all of its covenants. Hence, it was very important for Chuck to read Jeremiah 31. I hope, when I was reading, you were paying attention and hearing what God was saying to the nation of Israel for the latter days. If you, if you looked at when he started reading in chapter 1, chapter 31, verse 1, I almost said, thought to myself, man, I should have had him start at um, the last verse of chapter 30, the last line. Because it says, in the latter days, you'll see this come to pass. Okay? And so, this is a prophecy regarding the latter days. Guess what? We're living in those latter days, okay? Where we're beginning to see Israel becoming a what? A nation again, okay? So, if people would have interpreted the Bible correctly, even throughout all those hundreds and thousands of years between the time of the death of Christ and now, even though they didn't see Israel as a nation, they should have what? believed that God's word was true and that he was going to do it because he proclaimed it, not just here, but we'll look at other passages where God clearly proclaimed that this was his plan. Make sense? And that God continues to keep his plan. We looked at the basic definitions of what, what is the dispensation. A dispensation is a system of, of the regulations of government. Okay, That's basically what it means. But we bring it into the Bible. And so I shared with you two defi- um, um, quotes last week. And I've just kind of, this is my own quote quote-unquote, for me bringing all things together. And this is how I define it. There are specific time frames or periods of history where God has given additional revelation and stewardship responsibilities. Each of these stages of history or dispensations can be marked by a beginning event, additional revelation to believe and obey, 
the failure of man in a closing event. So, what does all that say? That as we read the Bible, literally, and we understand that God has progressively given revelation, that as he progressively gave that revelation, there were specific, distinct periods of time then when he gave that revelation. And when he gave that revelation, he then added additional requirements, if you would, to whom much is given, much is required. Okay, So that as the additional revelation was given, then there was additional what? Responsibility. Requirements, responsibility as a steward. I'm a steward of the message of God. I've always been a steward of the message of God. Even if I lived for 6,000 years now, throughout those 6,000 years, I would have been a what? A steward of the message of God, right? But as God then would have continually revealed more and more and more to me, my responsibilities as a steward of the message of God would have what? Would have increased. Make sense? I haven't lived all those 6,000 years. So when I was born and when I got, when I was reborn, okay, and I accepted God's message for what it is, I now am a steward of that which he has given to me, okay? And that's where we began this process last week, looking at Bible verses, by looking at 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul said, if you remember when we went through the book of Corinthians, let a man so consider us as servants and stewards, okay, stewardship, the oikonomos, of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required as stewards that one be found faithful. And so that's the transition we made, started coming into this. And what we see here is Paul, okay, as we jump into this concept, okay, I've, I've kind of presented you the concept, and now we're going to look at the Bible evidence where we come back at this, okay? Where Paul states that he is a what? A steward of the Word of God. But he calls the Word of God a specific term here. And that term is, it's a mystery, okay? This is distinguishing it from the other parts of the Word of God that have what? That have already been revealed, okay? He has been given, been called a steward of the mysteries of God, which he then, we saw, showed in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, where he begins to talk about this mystery. He says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation, or if you would, the stewardship. Okay? It's that same word here, koinomia, okay? that he used up here for a steward. Okay? So he gives us a dispensation, a stewardship, of the fullness of the times. So what Paul's saying is that, that he has... Been, God has shared with him a mystery, okay, which we'll get to in a moment, okay, and he gave him this mystery in the fullness of the times, that there was events going on, um, history was happening, but when history came to, the, to, to, the, to this one moment when all the events that needed to go into the cup were in the cup, and no more events could fit in this cup, God revealed the mystery to Paul. Does that make sense? Okay. In, it, in, in that, God called it a what? A stewardship. A dispensation. That there was a specific time when he was going to do that. Okay. Chapter 3 then, he then talks about this mystery even further. This is from last week again. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Now he defines the stewardship that he's in. Okay? How does Paul define the dispensation or the stewardship that we're in right now? 
It's the dispensing, if you would, dispensation, the dispensing of the grace of God. We're in a period of time when God's grace is being what? Dispensed. Does that make sense? Okay. And we are stewards of that grace. Okay? So Paul says, the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I briefly written already, that by which when you read, you may understand. So God gave it to Paul. So think about Jeremiah this morning. Okay? God gave the message to Jeremiah. Jeremiah gave the message to Baruch, the son of Neriah. But the purpose of giving Baruch, the son of Neriah, to write it down was to turn around and give it to the people. The people heard it. The rulers heard it. They took it, and they gave it to the king. Okay? There was this process. So Paul says, God gave me this mystery, but he gave me this mystery so that what? So I could give it to you. So that you would know this. This is the whole point. It's not for me to be puffed up in the fact that I've got this mystery, but he gave it for you. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I briefly written, that when you read it, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Ah, now he starts to reveal a little bit what the mystery is. What's the mystery? That now all of a sudden the Gentiles are going to be one with the Jews. That God is going to begin to deal with the Gentiles as he has been dealing with the Jews. Okay, That we should be what? Fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the good news, the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effect of working with power to me, whom less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship, the koinonia of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus that, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Now, a lot of stuff there, and we did it last week, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but the key here as we're moving forward here is that God gave Paul the mystery, revealed it, okay, that that mystery is the church, the Gentiles being fellow heirs with, with the Jews, right? And that it was something new, that it wasn't known in other ages. So Paul's referring to the fact that there were what? Previous times, previous ages, where they didn't know, they didn't have this revelation that I'm giving to you right now. Not me, but Paul, right? Okay. That, so this other time, so progressive revelation is going on. It's, it's happening right now. You may not have lived it in the past, but guess what? You're living it right now. We're in the midst, this is what Paul's saying, we're in the midst of this concept of progressive revelation. You know, God's given us new information. He didn't give it to them in the past, but now you have it. Okay, and now we're going to look that there's actually a time before. So we have two periods of times that are being talked about here. Okay, Paul continues in Colossians 1. He says, I rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Again, a confirmation of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from which God was given to me for you to fulfill. Play Roma, that's the same word. The word of God, the mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations. Now, he breaks this apart. And he doesn't just talk about ages, but now he's talking about it's been separated from 
generations and from ages. He's giving us two words to define what God used to do, how he did it. And it was through generations. Generations refers to what? When you think about generations, what does a generation refer to? People. Lifespans of people. Ages? Just time. Make sense? It could be lifespans of, if you would, nations, but it could be other concepts. Okay? So, so now we're talking about people, and we're talking about time. People within time. Does it make sense? Okay? I, it's kind of weird, but God chooses to use words for a specific reason. Okay? So, it's been hidden from ages and from generations from people, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Okay? So, the fact is that God chose right now, at this period of time, this is what Paul's saying, okay, right now, to be able to reveal this. Okay? Galatians 4, again, another statement about this fulfillment of time. Here, in verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, remember before it was the word kairos, which were events. Okay, this is a review from last week. This word is the word chronos, and so what I have on my wrist is a chronometer, right? We call it a watch, but it's a measure of time. Not events of time, but actual the passing of seconds. Tick, 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 time. Okay? And so God said, not only was it the fullness, no more events of history can fit into this cup, but now he's also saying that no more what? No more actual time. No more seconds. So when Christ was born, it was the fullness of time. The measure of time. Okay? So, so all this is playing out. God is looking at history through, in a twofold way. Through events but also tick, 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 time, okay? So events kind of refer to, make us think about what? People, right? Anniversaries. So again, Marsha and I this past year had our 35th remembrance of our wedding day, which means it was our what? 35th anniversary, right? And so we can mark off time by events, Okay, but events kind of talk about people. But when I talk about time, time doesn't necessarily talk about people. It just talks about time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so so in the fullness of time, God did this. God did something new. Okay, when He sent His Son to the earth. This is where we ended last week, and this was the with the message. I could have all this in red because this is the the words of Jesus. Okay, but yeah, if I had it all in red, it'd be behind hard have all the other colors in there. Okay. And again, as we went through this, these colors are important, okay? Because green are, is that, that which refers to things that would happen before the church. Red is that which is of the church. But as we're going to see here now, all of a sudden, I have a purple. A purple is that which is after the church. This is kind of interesting. Because Jesus, when he was on the earth, and he was talking about the end times, actually refers to the fact that there is something after the time of the Gentiles. Okay? So we read his words. It says, when you see, when you see, who's he talking to? Disciples. Okay? So not necessarily just the twelve, but the, the others who were gathered around him. Okay? But they were people living in his time. His time. Okay, he's talking to actual people, and he says to these actual people, "What? 
when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. So someone who was about 20 years old when Jesus was getting ready to die, they would have been around 60, 70. Well, no, probably a little bit older than that, so about 90-ish. Okay. I'm going to mess that up. Because it was 60, 70 A.D. So it's 30, so 30 years later, they'd have been about 50, 60 years old, okay, when Jerusalem was sacked. So could they have still been living? 100%, okay? So Jesus is saying, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, okay, so that's before the church still, right? Then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be, again our word, fulfilled. Okay? But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon his people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until, which means, stop for a moment, okay, that Jerusalem's going to be gone. Israel's what? Israel's done. And all of a sudden we're going to get into this time of what? The Gentiles. And the Gentiles are going to trample on Jerusalem until the time, Kairos, the events... Okay, not chronos, but the events of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So, these days are being fulfilled. But there's going to come an, a time after this. And when that time is what? Fulfilled. Those the events that are going to go on in that period of time, in that dispensation, if you would, are going to want to be fulfilled. And then something else is getting ready to happen. He doesn't say what that is right there. He just says that Jerusalem is going to continue to be trampled until that time is fulfilled. And then, dot, 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 you start to think what? Something else is going to what? Happen to what? To Jerusalem. Get it? I mean, that's what he's talking about. So is, is he talking? So this is Jesus speaking. Do you believe Jesus is speaking spiritually here or symbolically? Is Jerusalem really not Jerusalem? Is it something different? Well, when Jerusalem was, was trampled by Rome, it was pretty physical, wasn't it? So if we have a physical fulfillment here, do we think we have a physical fulfillment down here? Do you, do you see what I'm getting at here? Okay. And so this is a big deal when you talk about how you interpret things. Okay. So if you believe in a literal interpretation, you take this literally and you begin to look at what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying that something's going to happen in Jerusalem in the days ahead. I just haven't what? Necessarily experienced it. Make sense? And so, if you were there in the days when Jerusalem was sacked, you could go back to the words of Jesus, and you could find great comfort in knowing what? This is only for a period of time. I just don't know how long the what? The time is. He hasn't given it to me like Jeremiah, when he told Israel that it was for 70 years. Make sense? And after 70 years, then you'll be returned. Jesus didn't say that. What he told us was that this is going to last until when? The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentile, may I submit to you, is the church age. We're living in, not just called the age of grace, but you're living in the age of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles. And that's where we're going to start playing in. It's where we transition here as we begin to see what the Bible says about these dispensations and how God defines this, okay? And so we use the words of Jesus here as our transitional point because we go to the book of Romans, okay? And um, 
In fact, turn with me to the book of Romans. This is verses 25 to 29. But I want to look at um, some verses even in the beginning. Take that sheet and put it there because we're going to come back to Jeremiah. I hope I'm going to finish this message today. Did you bring lunch? Anyways, in Romans chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul begins stating in here, he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? The answer? Certainly not. May it never be so. No, it hasn't. He hasn't done this. For I also am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scriptures say of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? So Elijah pleaded against Israel, right? Verse 3, Yahweh... They have killed your prophets and tore down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So what is God saying to Jeremiah? I'm able to what? Say again? I'm able to keep a remnant. I am able to maintain what I started. From your perspective, listen to this, From your perspective, Elijah, it may seem like what? Israel's gone. Israel's destroyed. But God says what? Don't trust your eyes all the time. Because I'm able to what? Keep the remnant. Okay? So he goes on and he says, um, talking about all this. Okay? Verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to who? Ah, the Gentiles. The time of the what? Gentiles. The fulfillment of the time of the Gentiles. This mystery that the Gentiles should become fellow heirs, right? Of the the promises of Christ. Why, Why has salvation come to the Gentiles? To make the Jews jealous! There's no reason to make the Jews jealous if the Jews are what? If they're gone. I mean, if the church has supplanted Israel, then that doesn't make any sense at all. Are you tracking where I'm going here? Okay. Verse 12. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentile, how much more their what? Their fulfillment or their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh in what? Save some. For if their being cast away is the reconciling the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, stop for a moment. Let's be honest about this. If you believe that the church is the fulfillment and replacement of Israel, then this doesn't make... The, the, not a big deal because they're going to turn around and they're going to say what so therefore the jews need to be what saved in order for them to be what true jews in order for them to join the church which has what supplanted israel okay so they they continue to do that but we continue on going down till we get to verse 25 to 29 okay we're because i got a lot of verses paul says i do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of what The mystery, ha, that you should not be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. 
Whenever we believe that we have to spiritualize or symbolize the Word of God, that God didn't really say what He meant to say, and here I need to help out God to say what He really meant to say, I really become what? Wise in my own eyes. Because now I decide what God meant rather than accepting what God said is what God meant. Okay? Do, do you, mom and dads, do you like that when your kids do that? You say, take the gar- I need you to take the garbage out. Okay? No, I'm not picking on mine because this is an illustration for them. Okay? But, but I need you to take the garbage out. And then two hours later, what? It's not out. Say again? It's still stinking up the house. And you say, I thought I told you to take the garbage out. Well, I thought you meant that you wanted it taken out after we unload the, 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 the leftovers that were in the refrigerator because they're going to stink everything up too. And so I, I you know, da, da, da. So they did what? They decided to add and reinterpret exactly what you said. You didn't really mean take the garbage out. What you really meant was take the garbage out after we do such da, da, da. And so how do you like that, Mom and Dad, when that happens to you? That is not what I just said <laughs> two hours ago, Okay. This is what God, God's very clear here, right? So I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the what? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So, what? So what? And so, all Israel. How many? All Israel. And so, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away from ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my what? My covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Ooh, enemies. That doesn't sound like what? All one together. They're enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. This is important. This is huge. You got. You may not understand how important this is. Okay, but God refers here to the covenant that He made with Israel, and He says that His covenant is what irrevocable. If God changes what He proclaimed to Israel, how do you know He won't change what He proclaimed to you? Do you believe that you're under a covenant with God? If the terms of the covenant can change. Like that. Or they can be symbolized away. What about your covenant? So, let's talk about this covenant. Okay? Jeremiah 31. This is the passage that, that um, Chuck read earlier. And we're not going to go through the entire chapter because we're going to go look at chapter 33. Okay? But as he read chapter 31, do you remember hearing what, what, what he said as he went, when he came through here? How that, that God is speaking to Israel and that in these latter days, he was once again going to what? To bring Israel back into the land from, from the north. Okay. In fact, um, another little thing that I even picked up this morning, is kind of fun for me, as I was listening to Chuck read it, um, um, about the isles. Just a little thing. Um, help me out. Going through there, see where it says about the isles. Because they're going to... This message is going to go out into the aisles as well. Not A-I-S-L. The aisles, but the aisles. I-S-L-E. Yeah. 
This is going to be one of these uh, sword drill things. Who can find it first? Stand up and start reading it. No. <laughs> it's not even going to be in there. I'm going to see some. I'm going to have seen something that he wasn't even reading. Yeah. Ten. Ah, yeah, I was going right past it. Hear the word of Yahweh, O nations, and declare it in the isles where? Afar off. He's not talking about Kafter and stuff like that, the things that they knew. He's, this is talking about the end times in the isles that are what? Afar off. He's, he's talking about to the ends of the earth, places that they don't even know yet. Great Britain is a what? Is an island. You know, actually, it's North America and South America almost. You know, we call them continents, but they're surrounded by water, so therefore it could be a really big what? Island. Anyways, but you get what I'm saying, okay? That God is proclaiming. He knows that there is so much information that these people don't even know yet, that they're still going to be discovering. And so he's saying at that time, they're going to proclaim the message. They're going to hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, he who scattered Israel will what? He will gather them together. God, God's talking that the day's going to come when he's going to gather Israel together again. Now, you've got to go. Someone mentioned this last week. And this is where we're, we're, where we're picking this up. Okay? Go in, in to before 1900. I, I'd say 1948. But go even before 1900. Okay? When there wasn't an Israel. Make sense? And so there hasn't been Israel for 1,800 years. What do you do with it? What do you do with the, these, these messages about Israel? Well, if you read Jeremiah 31, you would read that in the, the latter days, God was going to do what? He's going to gather them together. He's going to gather them from where he had scattered them. Yeah, God said he scattered them, but God then said what? He's going to gather them again. And so, again now, think about it. This goes back to that literal interpretation thing, okay? These two things hinge upon each other, okay? If you believe the church has supplanted Israel, then you cannot interpret the Bible literally. You have to begin to bring in what? Symbology and, and, and uh, those other words that are going through my brain. Analogies and what's Pilgrim's Progress was a... Allegory, allegorically, and stuff like that. So you've got to be able to, you have to, that's the only way you can translate. If you start from the fact that you believe in a literal interpretation, when you come to a passage like this, you have to say what? Israel's going to come back, even though I don't, what? See it, like Elijah. Even though I don't see it, I've got to believe it. And so what's really exciting then, in these these individuals who started breaking away from the covenant theology of the Catholic Church and the, and the Reformers, okay, and back in the 1600s. And so we got to, in the 18, early 1800s, where John Darby comes up with the word dispensationalism, okay? So he coined the word, in a sense, okay? These guys believed it before they ever saw it. So the kids, in, on Wednesday night, for the run with the prize, right? Run for the prize, our, key, our verses that we talked about on Wednesday night, do you remember? What did we talk about on Wednesday night? Asa, do you remember? What two, what two verses do we talk about? Good. Hebrews 11.3 and Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the... Good. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the what? What word did I use? I said it over and over again. What's substance? It's the what? It's the stuff. 
It's the stuff. It's the stuff. You feel it. You touch it. You see it. It's the stuff of things that you can't see. Does that make sense? Have you ever been to heaven? Have you ever seen God? How many of you? Well, so many. Anyways. You've not seen God. No man has seen God. You've not been to heaven. But you what? But you know it's there. You know he exists. In your life, the change in your life is the what? The stuff that proves it. Does that make sense? Well, guess what? If you lived in the 1800s, your faith, your theology would be the stuff. Get it? Your theology, what you believed about how God was going to continue to work would be the stuff. It's easy for us. Because Israel what? It now exists. So it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, this is good. So, so, but look down at the end then of chapter 31. i got to fly. I just looked at the clock, sorry. So it says, Thus says Yahweh, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, Yahweh Sabaoth is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, says Yahweh, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation from before me. What's the statement? If you can what? Destroy the sun, the moon, and all the stars, then what will you be able to do? Destroy the covenant that God made with Israel. So if you don't destroy the sun, the moon, and the stars, then what? God's covenant with Israel stands. But look at this next one. This is really kind of fun. And you'll see, hopefully, you'll see that this is amazing. If the heaven above can be what? Measured. If the heaven above can be measured, what do we see scientists doing? Hubble telescope, we got to make it bigger and bigger. Because every time we get a telescope, we find out what? It goes further and further. There are these black hole things that we can't figure out. So we've got to have what? We've got to get space probes going out there so we can do what? We can find more and more. We can try to measure the ends of the universe. God says, if you can measure, if the heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. Well, that's easier. Because now I've got a what? I've got a confined area. And so we want to dig core. We want to do core things and find out what... Have they been able to do it? Isn't it amazing? Go ahead, David. I just heard on the radio in the last week that only 5% of the ocean... Only 5% of the ocean's been explored. Yeah, isn't it... How incredible is this? You know, but scientists are seeking to do... Now, I'm not saying every scientist who's involved in this is seeking to, to destroy the covenant of God with Israel. Make sense? But I do believe there's a satanic plot behind it all. They may not understand what they're involved in, but I believe that Satan is seeking to do this. This is the only way he has the out. He couldn't get Jesus to sin before he died on the cross. He only has one other out. To destroy the covenant that God's made with Israel. So there's the perfect plan. You make a bunch of interplanetary ballistic missiles, and you wipe out all the stars, which happen to be suns as well, but that's okay. You wipe out the sun, you wipe out the moon. And you can destroy the plans that God has with Israel. What else happens? You die too. That's exactly right. But hey, you beat God in this game. Anyways, how how, how nuts is that? Does it make sense? But that's what God says. This is how important it is. Jeremiah 33. Now, you thought the last one was fine print? Okay. So in Jeremiah 33, you're there at Jeremiah 31, maybe still. You can go to Jeremiah 33. It's just two doors down. Okay. 
And so Jeremiah 33, and as we read this, okay, I'm going to begin there at verse 14. Look at what God says. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. So, so God is talking to Israel in a specific dispensation, but he's talking to them about a what? Another time frame. Another time period of time. The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David. To David? Oh. A branch of righteousness, he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. For thus says Yahweh, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me to gain grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. And the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah saying, thus says Yahweh, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there will not be a day and a night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with who? With David. So not even just a covenant now with Israel, but now we're talking about also the covenant with who? David. This is exciting because this is an individual covenant. Okay? So that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. Wait a second. A son to reign on his throne? I mean, we're talking about Jeremiah, right? We're talking about the exile. Was anybody reigning during that time? Did anybody reign for the next 400 years? No. So this is a prophetic vision that's coming out that God says it's going to happen. Even though you don't what? See it. And you don't see how it can ever be fulfilled. Put it in the bank because I'm declaring it. This is what's going to happen. If you can destroy the covenant I made with the, 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 the day and the covenant I have with the night, then you can destroy the covenant that I've made with David. And the point is what? You can't. So my covenant that I made with David is what? Is assured. Verse 22, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister before me. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah, saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken? Saying that the two families which Yahweh has chosen, he has also cast them off? Listen to what he says about this. Thus they have also, thus they have despised my people as if they should be no more a nation before them. Thus says Yahweh, if my covenant is not with the day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of the heaven and the earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servants, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be my rulers. So, do you think God believes that his word is sure? 100%. I don't have time to, to handle all this, but in Daniel chapter 9, you can look at this more, Daniel gave, um, God gave Daniel wisdom about a prophecy of 70 weeks, okay? That there would be 70 weeks. 69 of the 70 weeks have already been fulfilled. We read in here that there would be 62 and 7 that would happen before the cutting off of Messiah. From the, from, there would be a decree that would be sent out to rebuild Jerusalem. That was Artaxerxes' decree. There would be 483 years <clears throat> until the cutting off of Messiah. I did the chronology. Talk to me later about it. It's a lot of fun, but, but it's exactly at 483 years. 483 years later, Messiah would be cut off. Then there would be this other seven, this period of seven years, this other week that's still waiting to be fulfilled. And we read down at the bottom of this that there's going to be the people of the prince who is to come, that there's going to be this prince who's going to come. There's this gap and then this mystery that's in the middle here. Okay? That 
But then at the end of this mystery, there's going to be this prince of the people who comes and he's going to make a covenant for seven years. But in the middle of the covenant, he's going to break the covenant. Okay? We see that beginning to happen then in the book of Revelation. Okay? Revelation chapter 10. There's a great angel that comes in the clouds. Okay? And um, thunders, thunders roar and all this kind of stuff. But we're told that, the, that when the seventh angel was about to sound, the mystery of God, what was the mystery of God? Salvation coming to the Gentiles, the church. That when it was about to happen, and it was the, the, interesting, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that it's the sounding of the what? The last trumpet, right? So when the seventh angel, the final trumpet, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be what? Finished. Okay? The next thing we read goes into chapter 11. Okay? Chapter 11, what do we read? Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. In Jerusalem right now, is there a temple of God? No. No, there's not. Okay, Elijah. Okay, Jeremiah. Okay, reformers. What's your theology then? You don't see it. How is it going to happen? You know what I believe? They're going to build a temple on the Temple Mount. I don't know if they're going to wipe out the Dome of the Rock and put it in its proper place, or whether they'll wipe out the, the, um, the, um, uh, at, the, at the southern portion. The mosque, yeah. The mosque in the southern portion, and whether that's part of the debate right now. They don't think they'll ever get, be able to get the, the, the uh, Muslims to let them take off the Dome of the Rock and put it in its place. But you know what? Is God able to do that? He is able to do that. And now it may be that the, the Muslims do it for a, a, an inverted political dis- reason. Make sense? Okay. But whatever it is, whatever God has planned is going to what? It's going to happen. And we know that it's going to happen right here. Okay. But look what it says. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Do you think that's physical? Sounds physical to me, okay? So, what have we seen? Real quick, because next week we're going to get into this further, okay? We've seen, right in what we've, what we've read today, um, four, king, four periods of time, okay? There is the beginning of the ages, prior to Israel, okay? There's Israel, in some manner, okay? I'm just boiling down very succinctly. There's the church, or the time of the Gentiles, and then there's going to be this I'll refer to it as the kingdom for right now. The period of time after. Okay? I could go to Hosea chapter 6 and show you where God declared that after two days he would restore his people and uh, revive his people, and the third day he would restore them to power. Okay? It's just amazing stuff that's out there in God's word. But you either have to, again, spiritualize all this stuff, symbolize it, allegorize it, or if you just take it for what God says, Israel's going to be what? The world power once again. Whether it looks like it or not. It doesn't look like it, does it? It looks like Israel needs who? The United States. We're the world power. But not so. Who is the world power? God. This is exactly right. Jesus. God is. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the power behind it all. And when he wants it to be and how he wants it to be, it'll what? It'll happen. We just look at everything. So, so this is what we saw today, okay? Next week, we're going to move into the seven classic 
dispensations, okay? And we'll talk about quickly, very quickly, because we don't have a lot of time, each one of those and show, at least for these seven classic ones, you could go more, you could go less, okay? That in each one of those, how they begin, and I'll go back to that definition of talking about there was a beginning event and that there was a test and there was a failure and there was a closing event. In each one of these, it's true, okay? You can see it biblically, all these things occurred. So, in the end today, how important to you is the proper interpretation of Scripture? I know this was a lot of detail and a lot of woohoo, like probably overwhelming, okay? But the more and more you read the word, you'll see it, okay? I promise you, okay? How important is it to you? It ought to be extremely important. Reading the word of God has got to be above everything else. Knowing what God has taught, you are his steward. And so if you're going to dispense it to other people, you've got to know what he wants you to dispense. Are you willing then to spend the time in order to rightly divide the word of truth? It's going to take time. It's, it's none of this osmosis stuff. I stick the Bible under my pillow and I, I go to sleep for 12 hours. And in the morning I wake up and I know it all. It doesn't happen that way. What is your view of the nation of Israel? Do you value them as God does? Now, I understand, you know, that gets into politics in the United States. Forget politics in the United States. Make sense? I don't really care about what Donald Trump thinks. I don't really care what the Democrats think. I don't really care about what anybody thinks. All I care about is what God declares. And God declares that Israel is who? His chosen people. And he will once again make them the power and that he will establish his kingdom. We didn't even get, we'll get there next week. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to establish his throne in Jerusalem once more. Do you really believe it? Finally then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you are true and that you are faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. We can look at the sun, the moon, the stars, and we can look at the seasons, and they never change. Lord, your word doesn't change. And so I look forward to what you're getting ready to do, Lord. Um, I don't look forward to persecution. I don't look forward to, to the cleansings that may go on, Lord. But I look forward to seeing your hand being displayed powerfully. Lord, I pray for peace in Jerusalem, because you have told us to pray for it. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal... Um, from heaven, uh, your plan and your purpose. Lord, help us to be faithful at going into the harvest field and seeing people come to know you. In Christ's name, amen.